to first to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So turn to chapter 2, verse 12 first. We've been going through this letter, and for our sermon, we're going to be in chapter 7, but I want to introduce the sermon, and, and you'll see why uh, we'll be looking first at chapter 2, verse 12, and then I'll, I'll read chapter 7 later. I'm sure you know what a cliffhanger is. Uh, when people write movies, they often will end the movie with a cliffhanger. Uh, something big happens so that right at the end you want to know what's happening next and you'll have to wait a year or two for a sequel to a movie. Or maybe you have read books and uh, you've had the experience of staying up way past your bedtime because they always end the chapter on a cliffhanger and you just have to find out what happens next. And the same goes for TV shows. This is why people go on what they call Netflix binges, uh, because you just have to see the next episode and these streamer, streaming services, they conveniently just start playing the next episode in 10 seconds and they, they hook you in, they draw you in with these cliffhangers. And it might not feel like it to you, but we have been on a four-month cliff hanging there. Uh, Paul has left us with a cliffhanger in chapter 2. And if you don't remember or you haven't been here for the last four or five months, let me just try to recap the story for you. So Paul had run into some conflict with the Corinthians, and the Corinthians had been straying from the gospel, mostly because of this influence of what he called these super apostles. And so they are trying to draw the church away from Paul. And Paul, to try to fix this, made a visit. Uh, after This is all after 1 Corinthians was written. He made a, a visit, and he mentions in chapter 2, verse 1, that this was a painful visit. It was painful because apparently, instead of resolving the problem, someone uh, attacked Paul. Probably at least one person, maybe a small group in the church, uh, did not like what Paul was doing and saying. And what also hurt Paul was that the rest of the church didn't seem to do anything about it. They didn't seem to care. And so after this visit, which was painful, Paul leaves uh, hurt by the Corinthians and by their response as he's trying to help them and fix this situation. And so he decides that next, after some time goes by, that he wanted to write a letter. And we call this the, the letter of tears. And he's going to mention that in chapter 7. He writes a letter of tears, pouring out his heart to them to tell them how he wants to be reconciled and what they need to do to fix this problem. So he wrote this letter of tears, but back in those days, to send a letter, you can't just put a stamp on it and put it in the mailbox. You have to send the letter through a messenger. And so Paul chose Titus to be his messenger to the Corinthians and to carry this letter. Well, Paul had also, when Titus left, made an, uh, an arrangement with Titus, let's meet up in Troas at a certain time of the year. Let's meet up and then you can tell me how the Corinthians responded to my letter. And so 
that's what we read about. And we will, the next part, we read about what happens in chapter 2, verse 12. Let me read it. Paul says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So obviously, Paul wrote this painful uh, letter, this letter of tears. He wants to know how the Corinthians responded. He's got an arrangement with Titus, but he gets to Troas and Titus isn't there. So what kind of things would be going through your mind? Uh, Who knows? Maybe they told Titus not to ever see Paul again because Titus was such or because Paul was such a bad guy. Or maybe Titus is afraid to go meet up with Paul because he doesn't want to give Paul any bad news. Paul has no idea how the Corinthians have responded. And so his spirit is not at rest. He's very anxious to know how the story played out. And yet he didn't find Titus in Troas. And so he goes to Macedonia, probably because he figures that's the other place that Titus would be. Now that's the cliffhanger. Because after verse 13 of chapter 2, Paul completely drops the story. And he starts giving a defense of his ministry. And that's where we've been for the last four months. Chapter 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 are all about Paul defending himself and then pleading with them to reconcile. But we don't know what happened. Where is Titus? And what does Titus have to say? How did the Corinthians respond? Well, today we find the answer. Finally, in chapter 7, after four months, we get to the answer of what happened. So turn with me to chapter 7, and we will read verses 2 through 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 2. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. 
For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have perfect confidence in you. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray for his help. Our God, we thank you again that you have given us your word, the words that give eternal life and give hope and teach us how to walk in your truth. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. You know our hearts. You know our circumstances. And you know, Lord, that we desire to humble ourselves before you, to be used by you and to be more like you. And so we pray that through your word this morning, you would conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. So we find out what has happened with Titus and his good report for the Corinthians. And so as we look through this passage, verses 2 through 16, we're going to learn about relationships in the church relationships that we see between Paul and the Corinthians, and that even includes Titus. And you see how there's this circle of comfort and joy and discouragement and encouragement that came to Paul in his relationship with the Corinthians. And so we're going to look at this passage in three parts. First, the knitting together of the church. Second, the discouragements and encouragements in the church. And then third, closer bonds in the church. So first, in verses 2 to 4, we see the knitting together of the church. Now, if you stop and think about it, uh, church is a kind of a strange thing. It's kind of strange how people who don't really know each other very well can be so knitted together and come to love each other. Uh, you know, in a natural family, it, it makes sense as a as a child grows in the womb and the mom and the child have this bond and affection, or as a child grows up in a home and sees parents loving and serving and taking care of them, providing all that they need, the child naturally comes to love and have affection for parents. And as siblings grow up together, they fight, but they go through difficult times. They go through good times together as a family and siblings grow to love each other. But then you have the church. 
And isn't it a bit odd that maybe if, if you're newer here, you, you walked into a church and there are a lot of people that you didn't know. And they don't know anything about you. Or if you've been here for a while and someone comes in, you don't know probably anything about them. And there's those first few times where you come and you're not really sure if, uh, you know, if people here are going to like you or you're going to like them. You don't know what anybody thinks about you. But then you keep coming and you come and you come. And then you find that you start to love each other. You find that your hearts, as we say, are being knit together. People that you didn't grow up with, people that you have had no experiences with, people that you have maybe nothing in common with. After you come and come and come, you start to realize you love each other. I have a, a saying about the church, and I don't know if, I don't think I probably came up with it, but a saying that I think about many times is that people come to church for the teaching, but they stay for the love. People come to church because they want a church that believes the Bible, that believes what they believe. They want to hear the word being taught. But then they find themselves loving the people. And they stay in the church because they love the people. Even if they can find someone to teach the truth somewhere else, they stay because their hearts are knit with the people. That's what a church does. It creates a people centered around the truth, around the gospel. If you're here and you're not a Christian, this is the family that you can be a part of, that we read about in 1 Timothy. You can be a part through Jesus Christ, through repenting of your sins and trusting him as your Savior. And when we trust in Christ and we come to the gospel, we find that we're also united with a group of people called the church. And so we see in verses 2 to 4, Paul has knit his heart together with the Corinthians. Look at verse 2. Make room for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness to you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. And so Paul, as we've ended chapter 7, and we looked at the end of chapter 6, we began chapter 7, we ended chapter 6, uh, he was calling them out of the world, calling them to be reconciled to him. He gives another uh, plea again in verse 2. Open your hearts to us. I'm opening my heart to you. I want you to open your heart to me. We want this relationship of love. And he says, I've wronged, I've corrupted, I've taken advantage of no one. Uh, which, by the way, reminded me of Second Peter 2 last, last time about the false teachers. And how they wrong the church. How they corrupt the church with sensuality. How they take advantage of the church through their greed. And Paul is saying, I'm not like one of those people. I haven't done any of that to you. And his point is, I want you to understand how much I love you. I'm not going to wrong you. I'm not going to take advantage of you. 
And then he says in verse verse 3, but I don't say this to condemn you, because they could think, oh, okay, Paul, Paul hasn't wronged anybody, so we're the ones that are wrong, right? And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's not my point. My point is not to say that you did all the wrong. My point is just, I want you to really get how much I love you, because I've told you before, you are in our hearts. And then, after making that statement, he says in verse 4, I I am acting with great boldness toward you. This is a bold statement. To to show his pride. To to show how overflowed with joy he is. Of how much he loves them. I was reminded a few days ago of something Pastor Al Martin said. Uh, I I was reading it in one of his books. He said that, that men need to say to other men, I love you. Amen. Men need to tell other men, I love you. And, and men don't like to say that. But that's what Paul is doing here. I love you. You're in my heart. So I want to live and die with you. And that's why he says, great boldness. Great affection that I have for you. To say, I love you. So, verse 3 especially teaches us about the relationship that we should have with our church. Can you say about your church, you are in our hearts to die together and to live together? Does that mean that everything's always smooth sailing? No. Does that mean it's always easy in the church? No. And yet, we stick with one another because we are in one another's hearts we could apply this to pastors and their church paul is obviously a church leader and so he has this relationship as an apostle towards them Uh, sadly there are many pastors who see a church as a stepping stone to another church and that is not the way that ministry should be it should be we're here to live with you and we're here to die with you by God's grace. We can apply that to ministry, but we can also apply that to church members with one another. And you can have this attitude that Paul has for the church. We need to take seriously what the Bible says about being a member of the body. This is an extreme circumstance where a member, a body part, would need to be removed from a body. We are living stones in the building of the church. And it would be an extreme circumstance where you would feel the need to take bricks out of the church, out of the building. And so it should only be under extreme circumstances that someone would feel that they need to leave the church. That they have been attached to as parts of a body. And yet, many leave a church when there's one thing that they don't like, when there's one conflict with another person, when there's one decision that leaders make that they disagree with, they just go. And sometimes they go and they won't even talk to you. They won't return your phone calls. Or if they talk to you, they'll say something like, well, God just called me somewhere else. 
Oh, why? Why is God calling us? Well, just God's just calling us. And that's just all that they're going to say. Is that what it means? To live together and to die together? If anyone had a reason to give up on the church, it was Paul with the Corinthians. Multiple conflicts, multiple reasons where they said, Paul, we don't want you here. And yet Paul still tries and tries and tries to reconcile with them. So uh, we should be slow to leave a church. We should have very, very good reasons to leave a church. You should talk to pastors first before as you're, if you're even thinking about leaving a church, don't just tell them at the end or, or get them to have to call you and try to track you down. No, talk to them at the beginning because it's a serious thing to leave a church. So this is preventative maintenance here uh, for you. To have this in your hearts that you are in our hearts to live together and die together. It doesn't mean someone can never leave a church. You you know, I'm not saying that. It doesn't mean we're a cult that's going to control every move and decision that you make in life. But be slow and have this attitude that that you are knit together with your church. We're knit together because of Jesus Christ. Well, then Paul moves on to the discouragements and the encouragements in the church. Now, again, Paul understands that to be knit together is not such an easy thing. There is heartache that comes with sticking with your church, even through these difficult experiences. And so in verses 5 to 13, we see some of the discouragements that Paul faces, also the encouragements that he faces. So here in verse 5, we're still wondering what's happening with Titus. Paul says, I came into Macedonia. He's coming to meet with Titus. But he says, my body had no rest. I'm afflicted at every turn with fighting without and fear within. We don't know exactly what's happened in Macedonia, what the fighting without is, persecution or opposition of some kind. Maybe it's from a church. Maybe it's from The Jews, we don't know. But he comes to Macedonia and his body is not at rest. He is exhausted. He is in pain. He says at every turn he's afflicted. He's being chased by this hound dog that he can't escape. This hound dog of suffering, of difficulties. Every road that he turns on, he finds this dog in his face again. More hard things. And these hard things are on the outside from the opposition, but they're also on the inside. He says, we found fear within. Paul hasn't seen Titus yet. He's still full of fear. Everywhere he turns, he finds himself hounded by this fear and anxiety. Now, in some ways, it's, it's kind of comforting, isn't it, that the Apostle Paul was hounded by fear, by anxiety. There are 
fears that are natural fears, that are just bodily responses like the building is burning down. You need to be afraid so that you'll run out of the building. There's a mountain lion attacking you. You need to be afraid. I heard of a guy that choked a mountain lion with his bare hands because of the adrenaline that surges within you through fear. God has given us that kind of fear. But then there's fear that can be irrational or fear that can just overpower you and debilitate you. Some people are afraid of bridges. They have this huge phobia. And so that affects how they live. They can't go anywhere because there are a lot of bridges. And so if you have never crossed a bridge, that's going to control your life. Some people are fearful in relationships when they've been hurt by others. It paralyzes them from wanting to have relationships with other people. And so we don't know, is this fear paralyzing Paul? Is he constantly anxious about the negative response of the Corinthians? We don't know, but he is worried about the Corinthians' response. And we can experience that too. We can experience the discouragements that come when you love people, including in the church. You have fear within because you have to talk to somebody that has hurt you. And maybe it's you confronting their sin. Or maybe you've hurt them and you have to apologize to them. Those aren't fun meetings to have. Those aren't fun phone calls. You're full of anxiety about how they'll respond. Or... You disagree with something and you're afraid of how it's going to be taken or should I say something or should I not? Full of fears, anxieties within. But none of that is a reason to not knit your heart to the church. Live together and die together. Even though you know there might be some fears within The church is a place of sinners. We are living in a fallen world. Uh, We ought to be mature and handle things in a mature and godly way, but we will still sin against each other, and those sins against each other will bring fears within one another. But we also see here encouragement from being in the church. Because here we get to verse 6. Finally, he meets Titus and he says, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Sometimes your church experience is fear within, but your church experience can also be that God comforts you by the coming of Titus. Notice God comforted Paul. God is the one, he said in chapter 1, who is the God of all comfort. But how was God the God of all comfort for Paul in this this situation? Did he say, I read some psalms and they really lifted me up? I prayed and spent wonderful time in prayer and God comforted me? No. He says, this time, the God of all comfort comforted me when my brother came. 
and I saw my brother and I spent time with my brother and God comforts me through the comfort that brothers bring into my life. How can you find the comfort of God if you are not in a church? If you don't have Christian brothers and sisters? This is one of the ways that God wants to comfort you is through one another. How can you go to church and then just walk out the door after it's over and not knit yourself together with the church? You, if you are a follower of Christ, ought to be living and dying together with the church because one of the benefits is that it is how God wants to comfort you. God uses the church to encourage you and to bring you comfort. And so Paul was comforted by the coming of Titus, and not just spending time with him, but in verse 7 we now find out Titus has good news. He says in verse 7, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. So Titus comes and Titus is in a good mood. Titus is smiling. Titus is happy. He's not afraid to see and talk to Paul. Titus has good news because Titus has been comforted by the Corinthians. And Titus tells Paul, oh, they longed for you, Paul. They mourned over how they wronged you, Paul. They're zealous for you. They want you to lead them, Paul. Now Paul says, wow, now I rejoice still more. My joy is overflowing and abounding. Because not only have I spent time with Titus, but Titus also tells me how much you love me. And so do you see this relationship, this circle of increasing exponential comfort, encouragement, and joy when brethren agree, when we work things out. And so there is encouragement. You were afraid to have that meeting. You were afraid to talk to that person. But then, if the grace of God is at work, you forgive each other. Or there is repentance. You express your love to each other. And if you're a man, you say to another man, I love you. And then you do that and you feel joy. You feel the encouragement of how the church has brought comfort to you. So in verse 7, Paul hears good news. And then in verses 8 through 11, he talks about how they repented. They listened to his letter. And we're actually going to skip verses 8 to 11 because, Lord willing, we will come back next week. And next week we will talk all about what Paul mentions here, a godly repentance versus worldly repentance. And that's an important thing for us to know about. So we'll come back to that verses 8 to 11 next week. But then he goes down to verse 12 and 13 and tells us more about the comfort that he receives. Verse 12, so although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, 
but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. So when Paul says, I wrote to you, it wasn't for just calling out the bad guy and making him feel really bad. It wasn't for my sake, the one who suffered the wrong. It wasn't just to make myself feel better. He's saying, I wrote to you so that your earnestness for us might be revealed. And this was in the sight of God. They, as a congregation, had to stand before God of how they were going to act as a church. And so in the sight of God, they had to decide, were they going to show earnestness, love for Paul and repentance? Or were they going to reject the apostle that God had for them, that God had sent them? And so he says, I want your earnestness to be revealed. I want you to show your love. That's why I wrote, and he was confident that they would show love. Uh, It's like uh, in churches, they have votes of confidence, and a a vote of confidence is basically uh, someone's a pastor, and um, you have to decide as a church, do you want him to still be your pastor or not? And so you have a vote of confidence. And Paul is saying, whether they actually had a vote or not, he wrote this letter to force them to, to decide, to force them to respond in some way. But he was confident that they were earnest for him, that they were confident in him. And so he says, that's why I wrote the letter. Have your vote of confidence. That's fine, because I know how it's going to turn out. And so he was encouraged by hearing the result. And so he ends that part with verse 13 at the beginning. Therefore, we are comforted. Again, Paul faced fears within, but he concludes, we are comforted. It's all worked out by the grace of God. So we see the knitting together of the church. We also see discouragements and encouragements that come in the church. But then the last part of the chapter, we see the closer bonds that are created in the church. The end of verse 13 all the way through verse 16. If you stick with the church, you'll find the bonds getting closer through difficulties. You know, we talk about forging friendships and forging relationships. You know what the word forge means? A forge is a furnace. And it's when you put a piece of metal into a forge or a furnace that melts the metal so that then you can change it or you can connect something to it. And so the the metals have to be melted in the forge if they are going to be joined together. And that's the idea of what Paul is talking about here, of how you create true relationships of love in a church. It's through forging through the fire. So as Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. 
And you know who's not a good friend? Someone who just tells you how great you are all the time. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You kind of got to get suspicious when people always tell you how much they love you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Someone's willing to say something that will hurt, but they believe that it's good for you. And so through the, okay, that was, that was painful. That was painful to receive, but let's work this out. Let's talk about this together. And through those conversations, forge friendships, a deep relationship. And so this is what Paul is talking about has happened here. Relationships have been forged through the fire. So second half of verse 13. Besides our comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Titus was skeptical. Paul says in the beginning of verse 14, whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. So we can imply that Paul had to make boasts about the Corinthians because Titus was skeptical. I mean, imagine being in Titus's shoes. There's this big fight. Paul says, Titus, I choose you to send the letter, to take the letter. And Titus says, oh man, what if, what if they get mad at me? What if they chew me out? They're going to shoot the messenger. Paul, you're, Paul, you're not going to go because you think, you think showing up is, is going to be a bad thing. So you're not going, but then you're sending me? Gee, thanks, Paul. And so they send Titus. And Titus probably has his own fears. But Paul, in verse 14, says, I boasted about, about the Corinthians. Titus, Titus, don't worry. Trust me. I know their earnestness is going to show. They are going to receive this well. And so, that's why he says, Titus's spirit was refreshed. So Titus stands up there in front of the church. He reads the letter. Here, here's all the bad things you guys did wrong. Here's all the things you need to fix. And he looks up, and they, maybe they're crying. Maybe someone stands up and says, yes, Paul was right. And, and imagine Titus. Right, they're, they're not going to shoot arrows at me. I'm not going to have to listen to them yell at me about how terrible Paul is. They are repentant. And so Titus's spirit is refreshed. Titus is full of joy. Titus goes to report to Paul. And so verse 14, just as everything we said to you is true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And then we get to verse 15. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. So not only, you see, is Titus relieved and refreshed, but his affection is greater. Why? Because it's gone through the fire. A relationship with the Corinthians has been forged and he remembers how they obeyed and how they received him in the sight of God with fear and trembling. So here we have a, a lesson being lived out of what Hebrews thirteen seventeen says. 
that the church, they are to obey their leaders and submit to them, and that uh, the shepherds, the overseers, are keeping watch over their souls as those who have to give an account. And so the church is to submit to the leaders. And then, then Hebrews says, let them, let the leaders do this with joy and not with groaning, for that is of no advantage to you. And so you see the obedience in verse 15. Submission to Paul brings joy to Titus, which brings joy to Paul. And so Titus isn't walking around groaning. Oh, I, don't, I can't stand these Corinthians. Paul is no longer groaning. Everyone's happy. Because the Corinthians repented. They decided to follow the word of God. And so again, in relationships with the church, you have two choices. Difficulty comes. Conflict comes. Leave. Just have enemies. Just don't repent. Just don't forgive. Or forge. You're knit together with the church. The, the knitting starts to rip. Bring it back together. Make it stronger. And this is what will really be, bring blessing to the church. That you don't leave when there's the first leak of the ship, but that you yourself decide to plug the leak in the ship for the sake and the good of the church. And you will find yourself going through all those hard things. You will find yourself stronger. You will find your church stronger. You will find your love for one another stronger if you forge the relationships through difficulties. So, we were hanging on a cliff there at the end of chapter 2. The cliffhanger has been resolved. We know that the Corinthians have responded. We know that Titus has seen Paul. But there are more episodes to come. Uh, there's uh, chapters 10 to 12. Paul is going to tell them how they need to respond now to get rid of these false teachers. So there's still more work to do. This isn't a perfect church. And this isn't happily ever after now that we're done with chapter 7. No, there is sin still that needs to be dealt with in the Corinthian church. In fact, a, a early church pastor named Clement, he wrote a letter after the Bible was closed. He wrote another letter to the Corinthians. So this isn't scripture. But he talks about all the problems that the Corinthians had in, in 96 AD. And so this isn't a, a happily ever after story. Uh, there were still problems in the church of Corinth. It, it went up and down. But so far, at this point, there is reconciliation between the Corinthians and with Paul. And again, so it can be for us in the church. May we be knit together and say, you are in our hearts to live together and die together. And by God's grace, may he forge a strong church here among us. Let's pray.
Lord, we know our own hearts, and even you know better the sinfulness that still remains in us. How often we seek the easy way, we seek our selfish desires, and it is difficult uh, to seek your way to submit to your will and to your word because of the old nature that still remains in us. And so we pray for your sanctification. We pray for your spirit to continue to work humility in us. Help us to receive wounds of a friend. Help us to have hearts that desire to forgive And that will root out bitterness that is within us. And Lord, we pray that above all, by your spirit, you would give us great love for our church. Whether we have known people for a long time or a short time. In Christ, may you draw us together. May we love one another as Christ has loved us. We need your grace for this, and so we pray for it in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.